6.30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad. And our first conversation today is a true testament to the saying, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Edmonton's Spencer Seeker had been friends or has been friends with the Safi family of Kabul, Afghanistan for over a decade now. He met them while teaching at a school near Kabul in 2010. Naveed Safi is a human rights lawyer, his wife Mashallah, a teacher. Now, earlier this year, they started getting death threats and Mashallah was targeted by the Taliban. In fact, she was burned with boiling water for teaching girls. Now, work had been underway to get them out of Afghanistan. Those efforts intensified when the Taliban took control of the country and the airport. There were numerous, very dangerous attempts to get them out on some of the last flights, but they were unsuccessful. And since the end of August, they have been living in a safe house in Kabul. All the while, Spencer Seeker has been trying to find a way to get them out. So frustrated with the lack of help he was trying to get from the government and elsewhere, Seeker recently traveled to Dubai, secured visas for himself in Pakistan and then Afghanistan, and then with the help of a network of contacts, helped move the Safi family, their husband and wife and their three kids, to safety from Kabul through the dangerous Torkham Gate and into Pakistan. Spencer Seeker joined me from Pakistan earlier to share the story. Spencer, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Jalen. Spencer, when Kabul fell, there was desperate attempts to get this family out of Afghanistan. Can you tell us what happened? Wow, that what an experience that was. So when I when I left Afghanistan, I I, I brought some dogs back. This is the, the stray dog, stray mum dog, or something, I guess. House. And I ended up getting these dogs back to Canada, getting them adopted to great owners, and it was a real feel-good story. So when Kabul had started to, was, was starting to fall, I'd also kept in touch with some of the animal rescue stuff in, in, in Kabul. And they reached out to me there that they're going to get some dogs out. They reached out to me. He said, you know, can you help get these dogs into Canada? Absolutely, I can, no problem. And then it was just around the same time that I heard from Naveed, so I, so I reached out and I said, hey, I've got this family, because they were getting their workers out as well, or making, making plans too. And I said, hey, I've got this family, can you help me? And it, it was just one of those things where... You know, someone who knows someone. So the, the lady that was operating the animal rescue took care of some of the lady who issued the P1 or the B, the American visas from the State Department. She was looking after her cats. So she owed her one. Showed her the picture of Mashallah, which is quite shocking. And we had their American P1 visa status like within probably a day. So that was a huge shot in the arm, and that kind of pushed us forward. So when Kabul started to fall, we had an opportunity to get them out to the Americans. Um, and that was a, a, a hair-raising you know, ordeal when, when that happened, because all of Kabul, all of Afghanistan had descended onto the airport, as we saw those horrific pictures. Uh-huh. So... Now, the Safi family were actually had priority to leave. They were supposed to leave on, on one of the, the American transports. 
and they were actually at the airport. I think they, they were camped out there for three days. Kids saw someone get shot right in front of them. It was just absolute bedlam. And then what had happened is the Americans, through uh, intermediary, contacted me. We knew that those attacks were going to happen before they happened at the airport. The Americans knew. So the Pentagon contacted um, someone who contacted me to get those people out of there right now. Um, right now, the attack is imminent. So that was the first attack. So I got, so then I'm texting Naveed in real time. We moved him back. They said, get him out of there. So he moved back, still within the, the area of the airport. And then we're getting messages again from the American military. And this was shortly after saying they knew that two suicide bombers were coming in. They, they already knew that. We didn't know this, but they texted me and said, get them 10 kilometers away huh. because they had drones and the drones ended up taking them out. But as we know, like when the drones take out the suicide bombers, if you happen to be somewhere in the vicinity, it doesn't go well for anybody. Uh-uh. So we got the Safi family out of the area. They went home to shelter in place as directed. Later that night... I got a text that said, look, at, can you get them to Northgate at midnight? This is where it kind of gets crazy. Is there was a, there's a group called the Pineapple Express. Uh-huh. It's a group of ex-Special Forces military that were actually on their own privately funded getting people out. They said, get them to Northgate and we'll get them in with the Americans. So midnight, I, I text Naveed. He gets the kids and they're halfway there and I get a text. And they said, we're overrun. We're getting overrun by Taliban. Tell them to turn around, turn around. Mm. So they're halfway there. They're dodging check stops, uh, Taliban check stops all along the way. So they ended up going back. And that was back in August. So they've actually been hiding out since that time. And that's what kind of precipitated this. So, I mean, it, it just wasn't sustainable to keep them hiding, you know, for indefinitely. So, Spencer, what was it that made you decide that you needed to go to Dubai, then Pakistan, then Afghanistan to help this family? Well, just on on a personal level, I have a really difficult time just sitting around on my hands. So it was like, okay, you wait, you wait, you wait. And I just, just kind of a a personal mantra is like, if it's not going to happen, let's make it happen. So... That whole journey, I had applied for a Pakistani visa that was in the process for months. So when I made the, the trip to Dubai, I still didn't have a, a visa to get into Pakistan, but I just felt like, you know what? It's kind of like the old adage, jump. This is my theory is jump, and a net will appear. And it, it was successful at least so far on, on this on this you know trip. I, I, I was able to attain... Uh, in a small miracle, I used my status as, as an author to talk to the Afghan embassy, and then I got into Afghanistan. And it was like, when something like this happens, Jalen, there's a whole bunch of, there's a whole network of people that, you know, have, have come together that I can't mention. So it's not like I did this all by myself. There's a whole bunch of people that did some really amazing things. They contacted people and set up, you know, uh, drivers and set up, 
you know, um, people to know to know someone that knows someone that's going to be able to get the visa. And so they were really close. The Safi family was really close a number of times. And so I was just like, okay, if this doesn't happen, then we'll make it happen. Can you explain to us what happened between Kabul and Torquem Gate? Like, how how did... Who took them there? How did they get there? And for those who don't understand what that gate is, just how very dangerous and really the luck of the draw it is, whether or not you're going to get through or not. Basically, it's a van. I, I can't disclose who the driver is, who it's set up. This is what they do. It's a hired driver, though. It's, it's someone who's hired to do this? Correct, correct. So so this is someone that that's, so they know. So it could be... Jalen, like you're you're in this vehicle, you do not talk to the driver. They know the, the area, they know how to navigate it. Um, so that part, I don't even know their name. It's set up to an intermediary uh, who's set up to someone who knows someone. So that's how that was all set up. And so basically, you you take them to the van, a little white van. You give them hugs and kisses, and they close the door, and off they go. Um, it was it was in the morning time. They made it to Jalalabad, and then what well, what they did is they stayed in Jalalabad. They got there like eleven at night or something, and then at three in the morning they made the final push from Jalalabad to Torkham Gate. Now that is this extremely dangerous area because it's ISIS controlled. So Spencer, how how nervous were you waiting to hear the news? Well, yeah. Well, it was. I mean, I felt confident just because we. We, we, we had the, the network kind of established. The main part for me was between Jalalabad and Targum Gate. Uh. Is, is I, I felt that if they could make it through there, when they were at the gate, they, I guess they were at the gate for a really long time, but I knew, when, when they sent a picture, I knew that they were getting in. And then, you know, you got that text, okay, we're in, and it's like, yes. Spencer, you, you said when you received the text from Naveed that we're through, and you just said, Yes. Was it was it was it a louder yes when you heard? Was it like ah yes? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it just kind of the way I'm wired, Jalen. It was like oh, more of a more of a big a knot being loosened in my chest and a big nice sigh out. But the very next second is okay. What's next? Yeah. What are we gonna do next? Because I know we're not there yet. So how is the family doing and what does happen next? We'll tell you right after this. So as you were hearing, the Safi family made it out of Afghanistan thanks in big part to the efforts of Spencer Seeker, an Alberta man, who took matters into his own hands traveling to Kabul to get the wheels in motion. You heard that they made the various, very dangerous trip from Kabul to Torquem Gate. They're now in a safe house in Pakistan. Spencer, how is the family? Well, I, I think they're tired, right? So I, I think they're tired and they're, you know, it's it's just kind of a, um, a you know, a shock to the system. So here you are, and, and I think being, you know, parents to, you know, a three, five, and a six-year-old, there's that whole very real thing of, you know, just keeping the kids together, keeping, you know, the, you know, Maslow's hierarchy, keep, keep your physiology put together, you know? And so right now, the resting, sleeping, and then we'll, we'll start the next stages tomorrow. Once we get them set up, you know, I'm going to try and make it home to be at home for Christmas for my six-year-old. And, you know, um, 
biggest part of my job has been now now like I said is is the the not fun part of, of, of trying to get the bureaucracy out of the way and, and, and trying to get them, you know, refugee status and asylum here in Canada. I mean, this is, to be honest, this is where he wants to come. Uh-huh. He wants to come to Canada. You, you had a couple of run-in, run-ins with the Taliban when you were there. Can you tell us about that? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was told that, you know what, that you're probably going to be pretty safe because they don't want an international incident. I think it was a couple of days ago, we, we got pulled over to a check stop. So we're driving along, and we get pulled over at the check stop. Like, guns drawn. It was a little unnerving. And then they're yelling just really aggressively. But I guess what they were saying is, like, we're not going to hurt you. <laughs> I didn't know that. They, they put me back in the car. So I get Taliban, and now all in the vehicle with their machine guns and the dudes driving and they take me to my hotel huh. and the Taliban comes into the guns and everything. They go past the security to the front desk. They even check in so they go to the front front desk, check me and walk me up to my room with a machine gun in the room and then and then they they went on their way. So they were claiming that they just wanted to see me safely at the hotel. But not knowing that, again, it was a, it was a pretty hair-raising experience for sure. Did, did you ever at any time think to yourself, if they know what I'm doing here, I'm going to end up dead? Yeah, yeah, but I just, you know what, I just, one step in front of the other, don't say anything. ABC, always be cool. When you look back and you reflect back on, on your time over the past week, what are you going to remember? Well, first of all, like when you wake up in the morning and you look and, and they had an unusual snowfall, which, which isn't common, to look at the majestic, especially in the morning before the pollution kind of sets in and the, and the sun is, uh, it's like, what a beautiful city. Like it's poor, it's rubble, but I mean, it is, the setting is really majestic and you've got this, you know, dichotomy of this beautiful, majestic, you know, these mountains, you know, set against this bright blue sky. And then when you go out, you've got, it's almost going back in time, Jeremy. So you've got people pulling old carts with old, you know, wagon wheels. And then you've got the, the machine guns, the, the, the soldiers, the, the Mujahideen fighters everywhere. It's, it's, it's an energy that I would describe I've got nothing, you know, concrete to base this on, but my senses, it's a place that's ready to explode. Like the energy there, and there's just so much angst. And so probably those two things, is, you know, the juxtapose of the, the physical, natural beauty, and yet simmering underneath is this really... Like, when you say the Wild West, it really doesn't do it justice. I mean, I've been to some pretty lawless places before, but nothing like this, Jim, and nothing with this sort of energy. And it's like, like it's, it, it feels to me that it's ready to explode. Spencer, safe travels home. Thank you so much for this today. Thank, thanks for everything, Jim.